0: You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Kemper Donovan. He lives in Los Angeles, he attended Stanford University and Harvard Law School before working a decade at the boutique literary management company Circle of Confusion, where he represented graphic novels and screenwriters, and he's here today to talk about his first novel, The Decent Proposal, on sale April 5th from HarperCollins. Welcome, Kemper.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. So tell us the premise of the book.
1: So The Decent Proposal is about a guy and a girl who are offered half a million dollars each to spend two hours together every week for a year. And they have no idea who has made the offer or why. But for very different reasons, each of them agrees to the offer. And from there, hijinks ensue.
0: Hilarity (laughs) ensues. Hilarity
1: ensues. The story is is about a romantic relationship. But it is, it's also about the love between friends. And there's a much bigger cast of characters than just one guy and one girl. We, of course, also have our anonymous benefactor, who we do eventually find out about. And it's also secondarily a story about the place in which it's set, which is the city of Los Angeles. Yeah,
0: very much so. I, and I really enjoyed it. I, I lived in Los Angeles for a very short time. And I found you really got the sense of being there in the way that you described both the locations and the sort of the habits and the people there.
1: Yeah, I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you. It was important to me to imbue the story with the, with a the sense of place in L.A. because I think a lot of books... Um, are set in New York because a lot of writers live in New York and we're used to reading that. I don't think that L.A. gets the same treatment uh, necessarily. I think a lot of people think of it as either a vapid, entertainment-driven place to live or something that's very dark and seedy in a noir way.
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah. for me,
1: this was more the L.A. that I think a lot of people – uh, who live there now are familiar with. Yeah, and where L- they
0: actually live.
1: Where they actually live in a place that they are quite affectionate about. And that is, in many ways, a wonderful and vibrant city in, in which to live. So I wanted to make that clear and have yeah, that come off the page. Your
0: fondness for the city very much comes through. And, and I agree, it is, it is either New York or San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. The, those are the two places that are often the setting. Now, the book originally had a different title. Tell yes. us about that
1: the original title of the book was enticement which sounds a little too um i think potentially bodice ripper yeah yeah true <laughs> that was that was a bit of the reaction that we got in my mind i was thinking of it as almost a little bit more of a jane austen-ish title got it. persuasion Entice something like that, but I think enticement is such a loaded term that has such sexual connotations. Not that there isn't any sex in the book or anything like that, or that there's anything wrong with sexual connotations. But it was a little bit of a misdirect as to what the story actually and is. And did like. you
0: change it, or was the change suggested to you?
1: The change was suggested to me, and it was more. It was one of those things. Not just in professional circles. When I started sharing the manuscript with friends and asking what they thought of it, they said. I was really surprised by what it was based on the oh, title. Interesting. So I, I knew from the very beginning that the title was not quite matching what the book actually was.
0: So you have experience with screenplays and screenplay development and screenplay sales. Tell us about the development of your novel compared to sort of a traditional development process for a screenplay.
1: Sure. Um... Yes, I had been developing screenplays with writers for years and not writing on the side at all, actually. And when I first started writing on my own, I actually tried to write screenplays, but I think it was one of those situations where I I knew what the end point of screenplays was and how much work went into it um, and had such specific knowledge of that process that it was too difficult to to be creative within screenwriting which is why i moved to prose plus i had grown up reading novels and loving prose the screenplays are much more structurally routine yes yeah there's, yeah there's 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 a structure to every screenplay every screenplay has three acts there're certain things that happen almost down to a specific page yep. you know if you're if you're not in act 2 by page 40 you're probably yep. in trouble <laughs> right. um, things like that Prose for me, prose writing is so the opposite. The structure could kind of be anything. It's it's really just depends on, you know, the the author and, and what you want to do with it.
0: And do you listen to music to put you in the mood that you want to be in, or do you listen to music to reflect the mood that you are
1: in? I listen to the latter. I listen to music to reflect the mood that I am in.
0: And why don't you explain why I would ask such a Strange question.
1: <laughs> so this is one of the, I, I love that you, that you pulled this out. In the, uh, toward the end of the book, one of the characters says that she and her friend loved to make sweeping generalizations about people along the lines of people fall into two categories, X or Y, based on one sort of emotion or thing or, or, or whatever. And that's, that's the thing that she, that she pulls out. And I do that all the time. And I love. There was one. I think I took a like. One of them is sort of uh, an English major. One is you know people fall into two categories: those who appreciate Jane Austen and those who don't. Yeah, for yeah. example, and it's, they're they're all silly, but it's fun to think about things like that yeah. sometimes.
0: And I liked it because it sort of <laughs> reflected what happens between your male protagonist and his best friend, where he he realizes, oh, they're so glib all the time. I mean, they have a million laughs, mm-hmm. but they've kind of gotten to a stage. Where they're glib all the time, where this is kind of the only way that they talk and the yep. only way that they communicate. And he's finding, you know, sort of a deeper level of connection mm-hmm. with this new woman who we never would have picked. Somebody that's completely surprises him, both, you know, her physical attributes and her sort of quiet approach to life. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it kind of sneaks up on him, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And in some ways, and this is one of the things that I left, I purposely left subtextual. I think the hardest thing I found as a writer was not spelling out all of the things. Yes, all of this. I I always want to tell. And what I hope um, uh, a reader might get out of it is the idea that, um, you know, in these days of Tinder and (laughs) social dating, we're given so much choice and no one just sticks with with someone if, if one thing is wrong it's just so easy true. because we know well there are 20 other people and it's true there are 20 other people but sometimes maybe there maybe there was something nice about the fact that if you lived in an English village circa 1780 and you met two men you're like these might be the only two men that I meet my entire life so I need to make it work with one of them I, yeah. and then you do and of course that's that really is what happens in a way with with Richard and Elizabeth in the story because they're forced to spend this time together yeah. and there're so many moments when both of them would have just written each other off.
0: Yeah, that's very sweet. That's that's very contemporary romance, I think. You know, romantic idea. Yeah. There's another point where you you mention how one talks and behaves sort of differently with those that are around them and I, I thought that that was, that was well observed as, as well you know and oh, Richard and sort of starts to, to realize
1: right and I have this experience all the time because he's he has both Elizabeth who is this woman he's getting to know and then Mike who is his best friend
0: Mike the female
1: Mike the female not to be Mike.
0: confused for people who have not yet read the book go yes. ahead
1: <laughs> and he has this moment where he says something and one of them Elizabeth appreciates it. Mike really doesn't he knows that he's one way with Mike and he's one way with yeah. Elizabeth and he can't be both ways to please both of them at the same time, and I have that problem all the time because I actually sometimes find it very painful in a social way to bring together different friends. It's
0: true, isn't it? Yeah. And I
1: think I think most people do because we're all different with with different of our friends. Every, I think everyone loves the. It's why shows like Friends are such a. Um, uh, wish fulfillment because they're all friends in exactly the same way and can exist as a group and be wholly known to each other. And I certainly don't have that.
0: Yeah, that that's very rare if it's, it exists.
1: Exactly, and uh, you know I have my one-on-one relationships with each of my friends, and it's not that I'm being false with any of them. We're all just multifaceted, and and he has that moment of like, ugh. But I, what it makes him realize also is, you know, that in some ways his friendship with Mike is obviously. Problematic or faltering, or needs to go through a a bit of a readjustment. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Now, tell me about your writing process. Did Did you write the novel while you were working full time, and if so, how did you squeeze it in?
1: I did. When I first started writing on the side, I'd say I was writing about five percent of my time and working the other ninety, or doing other non-writing stuff, ninety-five percent of the time, and that slowly shifted, kept on shifting, and shifted to the point where I realized I needed to leave my job soon yeah. if, if I if I could, uh, which which I, I wasn't able to do. I I sort of made my job a little bit different and I stopped managing screenwriters and started doing international licensing for comic books actually. That sounds so much easier. Which was
0: international <laughs> licensing of comic books. It was yeah. well
1: it's it's much more because it's all it's all over email, so I could actually go in and do it whenever I wanted to as opposed to having to go to lunches and, and there's drinks needy and stuff authors. like that. Come on, they're
0: always after <laughs> you for something
1: <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so it really, by the end, um, before I, I sold the book, it was, you know, 70% of my time writing and 30% of the, of the time working.
0: So what you do? Were you a night person or a morning person? I was
1: a morning person. I'm still yeah. a morning person. Yeah. Um, I would wake up and there was a little coffee shop that was within walking distance of my house. And I did a lot of my writing there and I would write for about two hours before work and then go into work. Yeah. Two to two to three. Wow. Yeah.
0: And who is your first reader? Who do you turn your pages over to first?
1: My husband. Yeah. Yeah, and because he, he's a writer also, so I'm always his... Uh, I'm, oh, so
0: you, you function that way yeah. for him
1: as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I give him... I, I mean, he... Again, because screenwriting is so collaborative, he always pitches his ideas to me. I read his outlines. When he's... You know, he practices pitches that he's going to go in and do formally. Yeah. And it's a little frustrating because now that I'm working on something else I don't find that it's as helpful until it's you've reached some level of completion to really talk about it. I think Hemingway said something like that about like if if you talk about what you're writing it's like you've killed it a little bit um, and not because I'm exactly like Hemingway, no, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's always saying, you never say anything about what you write. And, uh, you know, he's always sharing, but. Yeah.
0: Cause in his business, the pitch is the very first thing. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It's just, it's collaborative from the get go, but he's, he's definitely my first reader.
0: And what have you found to be the most challenging about the actual process of being published?
1: That's a huh, good question. I think, I actually think getting published for me also coincided with Becoming a full time writer. Yeah. And just, you know, you, it's what my dream was for so long. And I didn't actually think it would happen. And then it finally happened. And I'm a full time writer, I'm, I have a novel published. And I honestly think it's it's remaining focused, not necessarily even focused on all, everything surrounding this book, because to a large extent, it's in other people's hands. So I'm more supplementing and supporting what other people are doing. Like that, that train is already gone. But in working on the next book, for example, mm-hmm. just sitting down and saying, okay, put that out of your mind and really focus on... The next thing, you know, it's it's hard not to just sit there and like think excitedly about when this book is going to be published.
0: I've often heard from novelists that the second one is harder because you you actually suspended disbelief with the first one. It was like, okay, I'm going to write this because I'm going to get up early and I have to, I have to, I have to. And then Mm -hmm. you almost taste that success, and it it seems to make a novelist more doubtful. And, and more insecure.
1: Yes. No, I've, I I actually have experienced that. And I think also now it's become such a thing that the second book is going to be yeah. difficult, that it's like it, it, the that difficulty has fed back on itself. Exactly. So I was almost expecting it. And okay. then it's like a, a bit of a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy yeah. as well. Because at times I'm just like, okay, don't fall into this cliche. You have to of visualize like the,
0: that you're going to break the all. Right, Right,
1: exactly. Like the sophomore slump. Yeah. It, but, but it's true. I think that you... Um, Writing your first book is an act of faith.
0: Yeah,
1: and once you've actually reached that point, and now it's still an act of faith because the second one might not get published either. But um, it's it's it, it's just different the the way that in some ways that sort of magical. I'm just doing this because I have to, and yeah, like who knows exactly. what will happen. But exactly. like this is just me against the world and or my own brain. Um, yeah, when that shifts, it's um, it just becomes a little bit more mundane.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and more more like a job. I yeah. guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, what was the last book you had a conversation about, and what did you say?
1: The last book I had a conversation about was actually a book I'm reading now. It's number four in a series, uh, and it's Anthony Trollope's Barsetshire Chronicles, which I n- had never read before. Which is a major hole in really? my in You're my not reading. Supposed
0: to feel bad? Now. <laughs> You're supposed to feel bad about a major hole in my?
1: I I, I felt Go bad ahead. about it. Um, I had only read one Anthony Trollope when I was younger, but my mother is actually a huge Trollope fan. And um, I finally, finally decided that, that I have to say, I do do more reading as well now that I'm a full-time writer because yes. I feel like it's so important. It's part of the gig, Obviously, yeah. it's part of the gig and I, I love it so much. So Are you in a book group? I'm not, actually. I'm in informal book groups with friends. I have a couple of book groups of two yeah with with friends so we discuss books my mom is also one in one of those Aww. book groups uh but yeah i'm on i'm on four of six and flying through the anthony Troll book slide so i'm i'm really enjoying that's great that's serious yeah now
0: were you to be banished to a desert island and you were only able to take three books which hmm. three would you take
1: see i feel like i should say three books i've never read
0: really that's rather risky do you not think i mean I what but... if you take them and <laughs> 20 pages in you that's should, true you really can't stand it
1: that's true Um, This is just
0: another way of saying, could you name three of your favorite
1: books? (laughs) How about that? Okay, okay, fine. (laughs) Um, Three of my favorite books. Um, The Woman in White, Wilkie Collins. That was always what I would say my favorite book was when I was growing up, pretty much. I read it, I think, in high school, and I wrote an honors thesis about it, a whole honors thesis about it, actually. So The Woman in White, probably an an Austin book. I would say Emma, Mm -hmm. because Emma, I think, is... Emma you can get more and more out of it each time you reread it whereas Pride and Prejudice is is more delightful but pretty much the same book every time you read it so I'll say Emma and for a third book actually and this is the, the the one overlap with the books that of Elizabeth's favorite books to the lighthouse to the lighthouse yeah
0: perfect thank you so much for the decent proposal and thank you for talking to us today I really appreciate it
1: thank you so much this was so much fun
0: thank you for listening This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.